I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. If you don't have one, you can find a Bible in front of you. It should be a blue one. And I did not get the page number, but it's fairly simple. Revelation is at the end of the book. And it's, you go in a little bit, and I like to call it the address. The Bible is broken up into 66 different books. It has chapters in it. It was not this way when it was written, but it's so we can understand where things are. So it's written, so Revelation chapter 17, and we'll be going through all the verses today, but you can follow along as we go. Well, every other Monday night, I live with, I live, excuse me, I meet with a group of men. Thank goodness I don't live with them. But uh, we're sur- surveying the Old Testament, all right? So we, we go in and we, we watch a professor who talks really, 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 really fast. And he is just flying through what we study. It's, he's covering the whole Old Testament. What did we cover last time? Five books, I think. It's worth it, but it's, 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 it's intense, but we also, we meet after this, after we watch these things online, and we discuss what we've learned, and we also pray for each other, and it's a good time. I enjoy it. But I want to, I'm going to tell on these guys, all right? They pick on me. And I can't, I know, aw, I can't imagine why. Why would you pick on me? I mean, yeah, I know. Other times, uh, they, they challenge me to slip certain words in. All right, the game within the game, if you understand what I'm talking about, they challenge me to slip certain words in that I would never use on my own, much less be able to say. Anyway, last Monday, they jokingly said to me, as we came to the book of Hosea, they said, hey, Danny, this would be a great book for you for your next sermon study. Uh-huh. Right. Why, you ask? Why? For some of you who don't know what Hosea is, because it's a book that chronicles a prophet who was commanded by the Lord to marry an adulterous woman a woman who would in her future become adulterous. And how Hosea, the prophet, the one the book is written about, how he would buy back his wife, who was adulterous, who cheated on him abundantly more and more and more, had two, she had three children total, had two out of wedlock, and he bought her back from the slave market and was faithful to her again. You go, why is this even in the Bible? It's a picture of what God does first in Hosea for his nation, his beloved Israel, and what he does for us. Because how many times do we put it, maybe put it in a crass way, how many times do we cheat on our Lord when he's always faithful every single time in his faithful. You know, the the men were being lighthearted, but they didn't know what I was preaching on this Sunday. 
and what Revelation 17 held. Unlike Hosea, which spoke of a shattered husband and wife relationship, Revelation 17 speaks of a false religion, the false religion that mankind has had since the beginning and which we have now and which will come to fruition in the future, culminating in the end of days and a religious system so vile. I'm glad there are no kids in here today because this would not have been something that I would even want to speak about, even the words, because this is not fun to talk about. These are so vile that what we're talking about today, in the King James Version, the woman is called a whore. In the New King James Version, in the NASB, she's called a harlot. And she's called a prostitute in the NIV, the NLT, and what I'm preaching from today, the ESV, the English Standard Version. Words that offend the modern sensibilities or the sensibilities of those who are modest. Who wants to talk about a harlot? Who wants to talk about a whore? Who wants to talk about a prostitute? But Jesus puts it plain and simple. That's what he's talking about. That is how heinous false worship is. False worship, said another way, is simply man trying to get by without God. Man simply trying to get by without God. Now, we understand that mankind revels and rests in their own power. Certainly, they do that. Their accomplishments, their ability to produce and enjoy pleasure. The great buildings that we build, the great stadiums that we have where our favorite sports team play. But with the last judgment that was poured out, the seventh trumpet, when it blew and when the earthquake shattered everything, the islands are no more. The mountains are no more. It wiped out everything that mankind has ever trusted in or accomplished. Every building, every bridge, gone, shaken to the core. The writer of Revelation, John, wrote in Verse 19 of chapter 16, which we read last week, he said, God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of fury of his wrath. Babylon being a city, but yet she represented a religious and economic system that, and a society that is opposed to God. Take a look at our society. We'll talk about that next week. It is a city, a religious system and society that is spoken of in this parenthetic break between the last of the seven bold judgments and the second coming of Jesus, which we'll see in chapter 19. 
John sees visions recorded for us in chapter 17 that reveal the destruction of religious Babylon. In chapter 18, the destruction of the political and societal and economic Babylon will come to pass. But our passage today will be simply divided this way. The prostitute and the beast described. The beast and the prostitute demystified. That's, That's a rhyme if you don't know. And the prostitute destroyed. Fun topic, huh? Just how massive is this religious system? Just how encompassing is it? Well, verse 1 tells us of chapter 17. It's on the screen if you, if you want to follow along that way. But I really want you guys to really follow along in your scriptures today in front of you because there's going to be some difficult parts later on that you're really going to have to pay attention to. And you're going to go back and forth and back and forth. But verse 1 Then one of the seven angels, remember the seven angels that blew the trumpets, one of the seven angels came and talked to John, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, this is John speaking, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now, if you've been with us through the entire apocalypse, we have to understand and you have to understand what is being talked about from the Old Testament. This, if you were to read this book, you would go, huh? And we still go, huh? But the Old Testament, it enlightens the Old Testament. It brings to light what was being talked about for the prophets. And throughout the entire apocalypse, we have to understand the Old Testament and its themes. All right? And its themes. First, what is a prostitute? I think we understand what the first the first definition of a prostitute is, and I'm going to read it, but I'm going to make sure because I wrote this down to be very, very general. A prostitute describes a male or female trading sexual acts that should be reserved for the marriage bed for gain. Gain monetarily, something they, or they can gain whatever they would gain. That is the first definition. That's the one we understand. Second definition. Many places where the word prostitute was used, it describes an outrageous or unfaithful conduct of either a city-state or a nation. A city, a city-state, or a nation, such as Jerusalem is described by Isaiah by the Lord this way. Actually, in Isaiah 121, how the faithful city has become a whore. Those are the Lord's words. Samaria and Judah, even uh, Gentile cities like Tyre and Nineveh, other times being called a prostitute was a metaphor for turning away from God to worship false gods. So we have cities and states who are not faithful to the Lord. They're worshiping something else, but also somebody else who turns away from God. In 2 Kings we read, What peace can there be so long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Well, 
if we've read the Old Testament, we understand who Jezebel was. Jezebel married Ahab, and she worshiped the false god Baal. That entailed heinous acts, heinous. But she brought the nation of Israel and her husband, brought them away from the Lord, away from what he expected and what he deserved. But notice that the angel in Revelation 17 calls this prostitute what? Great. It's not mean, hey, you're great. It means great. They are head and shoulders above the rest. Right? This prostitute is the mostest, and I don't mean that in a good way. She is seated on many waters, means her location. It's an allusion to Babylon. All right, Babylon in Mesopotamia, in today, modern Iraq, is a city that had the Euphrates next to it and many, many canals around next to it. But there's more than that. When we look at Revelation 17, 15, it says this, the waters are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, which means the influence of this prostitute is monstrous. It's massive. It's worldwide. Now, if I were to ask you to name the major religions of the world, I'm, I'm going to name them off, but just make sure that I get them right. We have Christianity. We have Judaism. We have Islam. We have Buddhism. And we have Hinduism. Five. That's that's close, okay? I know there, there are more. But if you were to ask, these, the majority of the people would fall into these beliefs. But chapter 17 tells us that one day, all of these groups, every single one of them will be combined as one. Now, before you argue with me and you go, Danny, Christianity can't be a part of that. False Christianity can those who have wanted the church to become, become ecumenical, they'll have their wish. Have you ever seen the coexist stickers, the bumper stickers? That will come to pass. Now, I'm not saying that a Christian person should not be kind, should not be loving to a person of another belief. That's why we're here on earth. We're here to to save some of the lost, but we cannot combine with them. There is only one way to be saved, only one, and that is through Christ. A good Islam, a good Muslim, they're going to hell. A good Buddhist, they're going to hell. A good Hindu, they're going to hell. And they might be good people, quote, unquote, I'll put them in air quotes. They might be good, but they're lost. Without Christ. That is why it is so imperative that we tell each and every person, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's come for you. (sighs) 
Again, when we said Christianity, it, it can't be a part of that. You do understand the terrifying words of Jesus. When he said, many, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do everything in your name? And he will say what? I never knew you. Depart. They'll be rejected by the Lord when he separates the sheep from the goats. The prostitute's reach is worldwide. And it's also very intoxicating. Verse 2 builds on this. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. They can't think rationally. They're morally incapacitated. They're, they're just, they can't think straight. And this prostitute is wily, is seductive, excuse me, seductive, telling people what they want to hear. Give, I'll give you this if you give me this. No. Leading the nations astray with promises and by her power and with the help of another's power. They're intermingled, they're intertwined. Verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, this is the same beast that was described in chapter 13, verse 1. It's scarlet in color. Color's red. It's murderous. It's an empire, but it's also led by a man. Again, these things intertwine. Remember, when we say Hitler, we think of the Third Reich or Nazi. When we say Rome, we thought of a Caesar. But this empire, it's led by a man, and we know him as the final and greatest Antichrist. The scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Well, Paul wrote that the one being described would eventually set himself up as God and demand to be worshipped. That's as blasphemous as you will ever get. Putting yourself in the place of God, that is blasphemy. And he and his kingdom are the ones who will provide the prostitute the political power to succeed the ones who will coexist. Verse 4 continues. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. She was dressed to the nines. She has great riches. She has a mixture of royal beauty, but she is, an, she is abominable in her character. Abominable. She grows rich. Just as many religious systems have acquired great wealth as well. If you don't know, there's big money in religion. Look at the religious system in Jesus' day. When he went into the temple, what did he, where did he go after first? He cast over the money changers, the tables. They were making money off God. Look at the Vatican. 
the ceiling, the riches. Look no farther than today's, some of today's televangelists, the great wealth they have, the multiple jets some of them have. But what's behind it? Who is she really? Just as those who were gods were marked, just as those who followed and worshiped the beast were marked, so too is this woman. Verse 5, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. In the scriptures, a mystery is a truth that has been hidden and will soon be revealed. Just as the Old Testament, Christ was a mystery. He was foretold. He was talked about. But not until he finished his work on the cross was the mystery revealed, the completion of his ministry. So too is this truth about the prostitute. The city of Babylon was founded by a man named Nimrod. Nimrod was, we see him in Genesis 10. The name Babel, it means the gate of God. Can you imagine? The gate of God. And ironically, the famous Tower of Babel that we see in, in Genesis 11, when we think, oh, they built a tower to reach up to the heavens. No, they knew that they weren't going to reach the heavens. What it was, it was a building, it was a, it was a great tower, which they made to worship, in the, worship the heavenlies. It was an idolatrous attempt by man to defy God, and they wanted to leave their mark on the world. It was called a ziggurat. It was designed as a temple of heaven so they could worship. The signs of the zodiac were probably on this temple. Men worship the heavenlies from this structure, and it is the first recorded false religion in the Scriptures. And when the Lord sent judgment on these builders by making what? Mankind's language change? Where it was once one language, they went into multiple languages. The word Babel meant confusion. I mean, if I'm talking and all of a sudden some other person is speaking French, I'm not going to understand that. I'm going to gather where the person is. Later in history, Babylon became a great empire until she was finally destroyed by Medo-Persia. But from the beginning of Nimrod's city in Genesis 10, an insidious anti-God Babylonian influence had been felt and has been felt throughout history. And when John wrote Revelation, the city of Rome was also called Babylon. Peter, we'll read in first, if we get to second Peter, he, he discusses and he talks about Rome being Babylon. That's, he calls it Babylon. We know it's Rome. And the spirit of Babylon, it was present then. And it's present now. And it will be present in the future. She is the mother of all prostitutes. What's a mother? Children come from a mother. 
Every false religion and every false teaching has been born of this particular topic. Verse 6, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. And because of this system of belief, the innumerable amount of deaths, those who have followed God have come from this religion, from Abel to the Old Testament prophets, to the Christians of the first century, to the inquisitions, to the Christians who are dying for their faith today and who will die in the great tribulation. The Babylonian prostitute is judged to be guilty. She is responsible for the deaths of God's children and will be judged accordingly. And she is quite a sight. We've seen the prostitute and the beast described. Now the beast and the prostitute demystified. Because John marveled, the angel gave him an explanation. And I will try my best to make this very clear. This is where I need you to really follow along in your scriptures. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? Well, if I saw something like this, I would marvel too. You could tell the angel was not a human. John had, must have had the look on his face. I can't go on. How many more of these things can I see? The angel said, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. And even though he was amazed at what he saw, ultimately the mystery of the harlot is related, is related to the beast that she rode on. Remember, symbols and pictures are what is coming. It's not, it's not we're not going to see a beast personified. But the picture shows the great realities. So first, the beast is demystified. Now, we need to understand this. The passage that John has given, that wrote, John wrote here, the vision he saw, it's parenthetical. It is not chronological because we are going to be taken back to see what's happening in the past going towards the future. All right? So this is not happening chronological. Now I'm going to ask Becky to keep this verse up, verse 11. We're going back before the seven trumpets blew, all right? Before even the great tribulation has started. The beast that you saw was, this speaks of the Antichrist, and is not, this speaks of the Antichrist's apparent or real death. I can't speak for, I don't know for certain, but the Antichrist will have a wound where it will, he will look like he dies or he does die, and then there will be a resurrection or a real resurrection, a false one or a real one. We see this in Revelation 13, verse 3. You don't have to go there, or you can if you want. Revelation 13, 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. A mortal wound seems to, mortal wound's death, right? This 
thing is killed, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Then we travel to verse 14 of chapter 13. And by the signs that it, now we're talking about the second beast. I'm sorry, the second beast, also known as the false prophet, is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded. The image of the beast is the first beast, the Antichrist that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Again, if I take a sword and I lop off one of your heads, it seems that you will die. He will arise from the realm of the dead empowered by Satan and will be wildly successful. He will be wildly successful. He'll have control over the whole earth until he attempts to fight King Jesus at his return. And dreamy Jesus is going to kick some tail. Continuing in chapter 17 in the middle of verse 8. I'll read the verse, I'll read all of verse 8. And the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. He will be put down. He will be crushed. John continues, And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Now, I'm going to slow down even more. Continuing in verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. Yeah, I would say so. As John Volvert has written, this anticipates the difficulty and the complexity of revelation to follow. The reader is warned that spiritual wisdom is required to understand that which is unfolded. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Need to look at your scriptures. Don't look at me. Look at your scriptures. In John's day, Rome was surrounded by seven hills on the left side of the Tiber River. All right, so he is talking here. He is speaking about Rome, but he's also speaking about something else. It's understood that Rome will be the seat of power, not Babylon on the Euphrates. But it's not that simple. It never is. But mountains are often described in the Scriptures as kingdoms. Write this reference down for you. Psalm 37.10 speaks of that. And empires. So we come to verse 10 when more information is given. All right, so here we go. They are also seven kings, five whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. Now, before you panic, this is fairly simple for the one who's trying to tell you this. Understand, again, I mentioned it earlier, when a king is mentioned, it often means an empire that goes with him or her. This is talking about empires. So if you do the math, and we must, 
There must be five kingdoms who have come before the one that is present while John is writing this. The one that is. That's where John, that's where John is in this chronological order. We have five that have come before. Five kingdoms who have fallen are this. They are as follow. Egypt. Egypt is the first. Second is Assyria. Third is Babylon. Fourth is Medo-Persia. The fifth is Greece. Sixth, the one that is, the world power in place when John is writing this, is Rome. It fell in between the fourth and the fifth century. The other that is to come is the revived Roman Empire. I pray that you're with me so far. The angel continues his explanation, verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, speaking of the Antichrist, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. Remember, we're talking about an eighth kingdom. The beast is the eighth kingdom. He is part of the seventh, part of the one that is coming, but it belongs to the seven. The beast kingdom, it comes from the revived Roman Empire, and it goes to destruction. All right, let's keep going. Now, speaking of the seventh kingdom, the future kingdom that the Antichrist comes from. Verse 12, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. They're in the future, right? These ten kings are coming, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour. Wait, we're going to count 60, 60 minutes, right? No, it's talking about a short time. A very short time. This will either happen before the great tribulation begins or during the first part of the great tribulation, the last seven years. And together with the beast, these are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Ten, they're going to get... You take it. You take it. You're the power. We'll gladly be under you. Just as Rome during John's day was ruled by subordinate kings, do you remember Herod the Great in Jesus' day when Jesus was born? He was a subordinate king. He was the king of that area. He had no power. He had power over Israel a little bit, but Caesar had the real power. He was a subordinate. This is what the Antichrist, he will rule over these 10 kings. Verse 14, they, the combined kingdom of the beast, will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he, he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. If I couldn't get excited at that one, you could have just, just fire me now. All right. After all that, it comes down to this. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he will conquer them. Case closed. I guess we can go home. While those who remain on the earth, those who are part of the prostitute's church, 
which is an ecumenical combination of world religions that are all blended together. While there on the earth, Christ's true church, Christ's bride, the one he promised to keep from the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the earth, chapter 3, verse 10, will come back with their warrior king, Jesus, and watch him conquer. Now remember, our King Jesus came the first time. He was meek. He was mild. He was loving. He was caring. He still is meek, mild, loving, and caring. But when that time comes, when he comes back, it's not Jesus the meek. It is Jesus the king taking back what he rightfully owns. We need to understand that. We are in a time of grace. He loves you. He cares for you. He wishes for you to come to him. And what's it take? You admit that you've sinned. Everyone in this room has sinned. Not one of us is better than the other. When we stand before God, we all are nothing. But he died for our sins, for your sin, for my sin. And he was raised and will live forever. And he will reign forever. Come to him now. As almost a footnote to understand the significance of the Babylonian prostitute, to demystify her, we need to understand again that her influence will cover the entire globe. Verse 15 tells us, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. But as, we're, but as where the lamb will do the conquering when it comes to the beast and his boys, it will be mankind that will be called upon to destroy the religion that they themselves had begun long ago. Let me say that again. It will be mankind that will destroy the religion that they brought about years ago. We've witnessed the prostitute and the beast described, the beast and the prostitute demystified, and now simply I couldn't get a rhyme on this. The prostitute destroyed. Just as a prostitute uses her or his wiles to achieve what he or she wants and desires, so will the beast and his minions do the same. The angel now focuses on a future time when after the beast is healed of his deadly wound, after he gets what he wants from the world religion. Remember, religion leads the masses. They'll follow anybody that's religious. We are made to worship. You have been made to worship something. The beast will, and the kings will take what they desire and destroy the harlot. Antichrist alone is the one who will be worshipped. Verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, remember, the ten kings, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. 
and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. They have used and now they will abuse. They themselves, the rulers of mankind, will get rid of the world religious system. But even while doing this, they believe that we, it's all our idea. We're going to do this. We're the ones that are going to destroy this. And, and this is because we want to do this. Even while they're doing what they believe is what they want, their insidious betrayal of the thing that allowed them to take over the world, it is in fact God who will use wicked men to achieve what his ultimate will is. Again, God using evil for his purposes. Again, the problem of evil. God uses the wicked to accomplish what his will is. Verse 17, for God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Catch that, until the words of God are fulfilled and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. I'm going to be very honest with you. This passage is one that has been difficult to prepare. From the title, which was chosen just so it wouldn't be sensational. Who wants prostitute or whore up on their website to look at something like that? I didn't think that was something good to the subject matter. Who wants to talk about spiritual prostitution in a mixed crowd on a Sunday morning? But what I need for you to understand is this. These things were written for our learning. And when I say learning, not just that we would have knowledge, not just so we can wax eloquent, not that you could after this, but wax eloquent at the water cooler on Tuesday morning. It is so we can live lives that are separated from the world system. I'm speaking now to the church. All of those who have been bought with the highest price, and that price is the blood of the Lamb. And because of this, the church, living lives wholly devoted to Christ, not being unfaithful to our husband, Christ. We're called the bride of Christ, and we'll see the bride of Christ in, in chapter 19. You're part of the bride of Christ if you're one of his, if you placed your faith in Christ. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live faithful this is a warning not for us to be unfaithful, but we're to be pure, cleansed with the washing of the Word. Ephesians 5. I read this, and I'll quote, and I'll finish. 
We'd rather not dwell on the repulsive image of prostitution. But no one can sugarcoat how wrong it is to trade on what is most personal and valuable in order to gain things that have little worth. Yet because of how deceptive and dazzling sin can be, we are prone to sell out what should be most sacred and personal, to betray the loyalties that are most intimate and should be most important to us for the sake of cheap substitutes. This great prostitute has that outward look of respectability. She is opulently dressed in fine garments and dazzling jewels. But a closer look reveals sordid abomination and gross uncleanness. She represents the true values that Christians should resist vehemently. It is the benefit of God's revelation that we can see through sin's enticements and deceptions and grasp what, is re what it really represents. Values that are depraved and idolatrous. When we look at someone who has a sign on an off-ramp, Did they ever think they would end up there? When we look, when we go down to Union Avenue, that's where the prostitutes used to hang out. That was before it was online where anybody could get it. When we would look at that, a prostitute, a male or a female, but I'm speaking of a female now, did we ever think, did she ever think that she would end up there? The question needs to be asked, am I, are you, chasing after anything that needs to be left behind, that you need to turn from and walk the other way? Do I have anything or anyone that takes the place of Christ being first and everything else pale? As Jesus said, you have to hate your mother, your father. He's not talking about, it's talking about loving him and following him and it pales in comparison. I have to do what it takes, what he asked me to. Is he number one? Are you living true and being faithful to Christ? If he isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It is what he demands and it is what he deserves. Am I there? Are you there? Father, before we sing the last song, I ask your spirit to send to, to search our hearts.
may be, may we be willing to follow you fully, forsaking all others, as long as we all will live. We say these words or hear these words when we go to a wedding. But Lord, you have marriage as a picture between you and your church. May we hold on to you. May we love you fully. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.